0: everybody and welcome to another episode of DemiMond Paranormal Podcasts. As usual, I'm your host, Tori, and as you may or may not know, we have a private Facebook group available to anyone who wants to join. It's a private group, and you know, Feel free to check us out if you want to. All you have to do is search for us on Facebook.com and we should come up, answer one simple question, and we will be happy to allow you into our little supernatural family. So, with that being said, I welcome all new and old listeners to demi Paranormal. How are you guys doing tonight? I hope you're doing good. I hope this holiday season is treating you well. And you find the holiday spirit is just filled within you and in the air and among your loved ones and friends and family. So, on to the spooky stuff. For tonight's podcast... We will be traveling to Canada to take an audible tour of some of their, just some, of their most haunted locations. And some of these haunted locations may not be an actual location or a place or a building. It may be something like a train or a train track, you know, something along those lines tried to find the most unique hauntings all over Canada. Or it may even be a whole forest, a national park, if you will, that's haunted. So sit back, relax, and it's time to get spooky. I hope you guys are feeling the holiday spirit. I hope it's treating you guys well. Also, what I wanted to mention in the introduction and I completely forgot was that I will be including a folk tale from the Christmas time season from many a year ago. And these folk tales I'm going to be telling you guys are from all over the world. I hope you guys enjoy that. I think the first folk tale I have is from Germany, but I'll save that for the end of the episode. Cause for right now we're about to get spooky. And I've got quite a few places in Canada that are quite haunted. It was actually pretty hard trying to Narrow down which hauntings I wanted to include on our list for tonight's episode. I've got to say, when I was doing my research, I was quite shocked when I realized just how haunted Canada really is. And I thought that Ireland and England and Scotland were super haunted, but I mean, I've got to say, Canada's pretty haunted. So if you're an avid, paranormal investigator or just if you're like me and you like a good ghost story check out some stuff and some locations from Canada alright so let's get started our first location is in the Yukon in Canada and This hotel is called the Caribou Hotel. Have you guys ever heard of it? Now the Caribou Hotel has seen quite a lot in its day from actually floating down a river to completely burning down to the ground in a fire. This hotel has seen most more than most normal hotels have been and then it's been completely rebuilt. Its construction began more than a hundred years ago, and now it's being renovated again by its current owner, Anne Morgan, and she's replacing all of the old ancient beds, curtains, and furniture, and you know that's bound to stir up a few ghosts. And one ghost in particular is the spirit of Mrs. Gideon, You can see the ghost of Mrs. Gideon peering through the windows of the Rustic Hotel. The hotel's history dates all the way back to the Klondike Gold Rush. The hotel's former owner, Bessie Gideon, is known to peer outside windows, and she's also known to run the bath guests that have stayed at the caribou have reported seeing an extremely lifelike apparition of a woman roaming the wall roaming the halls at night on the second floor and if you guys can hear the music that is silent night playing in the background But if you stay at the Caribou Hotel, Mrs. Gideon might give you a fright, and it may not be such a silent night. (laughs) I thought that a little bit of Christmassy, dark Christmassy music would be appropriate for this month's paranormal episodes. So, our next location is an actual river. This is the Dungarvan River in Blackville, New Brunswick. So, this spot is not a building, nor is it a hotel, a restaurant, or an old factory where you would absolutely expect to find ghosts, but it's a whole river. And while walking round this said river in the vicinity of the river, you may hear the sounds of a ghostly specter in the woods. The Dungarevon Whopper is a ghost story that is not only told in eastern Canada, but it's also told in the woods of Maine and other maritime provinces. The von Whopper is said to be the ghost of a lumber camp cook who was killed for his possessions. Now, obviously, after he was killed, his crew couldn't find him. They were like, where is he? Where is he? So his crew searched for their missing comrade, but unfortunately, they found him. They found him dead, and it was obvious that he was robbed. So they buried him in the woods. And so, after his death, the spirit made his presence known by famously making a whooping noise, or a less famously, a wailing noise, a screeching noise, or a howling noise. There is a song written about this spirit, and there is also a sculpture made in his likeness. Now, our next location is one of my favorites. This is the Five Fishermen Restaurant in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Now, before becoming a restaurant in the 1970s, Five Fishermen Restaurant was a former morgue. This morgue had taken in bodies from the 1912 Titanic drowning accident and sinking in the 1916 Halifax explosion in the building's history dates back all the way to 1818. It was first constructed as a free public school and was the first free public Canadian school. When the school relocated, the building was taken over by Anna Leowens and it became the precursor for the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design. In the early 1900s, however, the Snow family took over the building and renovated it into a morgue. Since Halifax was the closest seaport to the disaster of the Titanic, the bodies of the wealthy families were brought to the morgue. A few years later, Snow and company held services for over 2,000 victims of the 1916 Halifax Explosion. That would be 30 through 40 services a day. And that's a lot of services. In 1975, the building was then turned into a five-fisherman restaurant. It didn't take long for people to realize that they have come in contact with something otherworldly. And there were still some tenants clinging on to this lifetime. There was so much paranormal activity going on that it contract that it attracted the attention of the paranormal investigation in nineteen fourteen. Now that's an that's a paranormal investigative team. And that and they came in twenty fourteen. They made contact with numerous spirits, including one named Drake. It went confirmed, they found on record, that there was a man by the name of Drake who was deceased who was brought into the morgue. More paranormal activity includes falling glasses, moving and falling place settings, taps that turn on and off without any logical explanation, and people have also reported hearing their names being whispered when no one is around. Our next location is Mount Morincy Falls in Quebec. Now, over at Mount Morency Falls, for years, visitors have reported seeing a woman dressed in white in the midst of the waterfalls, falling to her death. As the story goes, wedding plans were put on hold after a war broke out in 1759 when a terrified young bride waited a long summer, hoping for her fiancé to return from this war. Tragically, her young husband did die in the Seven Years' War at Mount Morrissey Falls, and after that, she went out to the falls each night, calling out for her lost love every night. One year had passed since her lover's death, and when she was completely distraught and completely heartbroken, the young woman put her wedding gown on and threw herself to her death over the falls, and her body was never found. For our fifth location, we are heading to Ontario. We are going to Ottawa, Ontario for the Fairmount Chateau Laurier. The ghost of Charles Millville Hayes supposedly haunts the halls of this luxurious hotel. He was both the president of Grand Trunk and Grand Chunk Pacific Railways he oversaw the creation of the Second Transcontinental Railway, which had a terminus in Prince Rupert, British Columbia. Now this railway tycoon commissioned the Chateau Laurier, and he had plans on building future hotels such as the Fort Garry in Winnipeg and MacDonald Hotel in Edmonton. Sadly, he would never get to see the hotel's completion. While he was vacationing in England with his family, he received news that his daughters, one of his daughters, was having a difficult pregnancy. So he decided that he was going to sail back to Canada to be at his daughter's bedside. Originally, the family and himself were going to sail back to Canada for the grand opening of the hotel which was on the 26th of April 1912, but the alarming news prompted earlier departure. The ship the Hayes family sailed on was the Titanic. And this is when it gets spookily ironic. When Charles was in the gentleman's lounge, he was griping about how a fight to have the biggest and fastest ship would end in tragedy and he was right and so in about an hour he realized it and he regretted it while the ship was sinking he told his daughter orion you and mother go ahead the rest of us will wait here until morning don't worry this ship is good for eight hours and long before then help will arrive sadly he was wrong The ship only lasted three hours after hitting the iceberg. Charles Hayes' body was never recovered and he was buried in Montreal. So, I'm guessing it's just more appealing to haunt your... Lavish, luxurious hotel than it is to haunt an ocean or a sunken ship or even a graveyard. I mean, who can blame them? I would haunt my own hotel too if I was him. So, I hope you guys are enjoying this episode as I'm enjoying relaying it to you guys. Our next location. Is a whole national park reserve in the southwest territories. This is the Nahani National Park Reserve. Now this national park has a lifelong long-standing association with death and only about 800 people a year come to visit this astounding park mainly because it's so far away from everything and also because of its association with death, but mainly because it's so far away. Now, through oral history from the Dene people, it contains stories of the Naha people who used to live in the mountains, but then they completely vanished with no answers left behind. The Naha people also used to raid the settlements of the lower, plantation, the lower lands as well. During the Klondike Gold Rush, instead of finding gold, miners only found murder and mystery. Many many headless corpses were found during the first half of the 20th century. Even in the park today, it still has areas named Deadman Valley, Headless Creek, Funeral Range, and Headless Range. The heads of the decapitated corpses were never found. Some believe that there was an evil spirit haunting the park, causing these gruesome deaths. But others believe that the reason behind the murders was clearly clearly blamed on greed and depravity brought on by the search for gold. Also, some believe that the Naha warriors are to blame for the horrors of the Nahani Park hauntings. Our next location is the Gilbachar Lighthouse in Ontario, Canada. This lighthouse is the oldest to sit on the Great Lakes, Indeed, it was built in 1908, completely made of stone. It's said to be haunted by the first owner. Now, people for years have reported hearing ghostly moaning, and I've even seen a strange, unexplained light coming from the top of the lighthouse. But the lighthouse has been out of use for years. Now, according to skeptics, They believe that these strange moaning noises can be attributed to birds that made a home in the top of the lighthouse. And the spectral light that everybody has been seeing is just the moon reflecting off the top of the glass at the top of the lighthouse. and our next location is a castle an actual castle now when i did the research for this haunting i was really interested and fascinated and i thought this would make a great inspiration it would be great inspiration for a horror movie or a great book and i don't know why it's not talked about more this castle called the Craig Durock Castle in British Columbia. This massive 39-room castle was built for a Scottish immigrant turned coal magnate and his wife. It was built atop a hill overlooking Victoria and it was built as a status symbol for all who were below to see. The coal magnate Robert Dumsmere, and his wife Joan had eleven children total, but only ten of them would make it into adulthood. A daughter named Agnes died in infancy. She died soon after birth. But Robert would not even live to see the completion of his castle, as he died seventeen months before construction had ended. And strangely, not long after that the original architect of the castle passed away right after him. With Robert gone, it was left to the sons of the family, two sons named Alexander and James, and they were left to see their father's plan come into fruition. Joan lived in the house after it was completed until her death in 1908. However, Joan in her lifetime had a strained relationship with both her sons, Alexander and James. When her husband died, Joan and Alex would have had a bitter dispute over the ownership of Robert's mining business. Even after the unfortunate and untimely death of his brother Alex, it would be James that fought with his own mother over his deceased brother's will. Sadly, Alex died on his honeymoon in 1900. Now, after Alex had died and Joan and James got into that huge fight over his will, James never spoke to his mother ever again. So, now we know that there was a string of sad and untimely deaths and a lot of fighting that went on in his family. So you can imagine that there was a lot of heavy, heavy energy in that house, that huge house. But it's said that the spirit of Mrs. Joan Dunsmere is said to haunt the incredible castle in her elegant glory, all of her elegant glory. It's said that she likes to take a stroll down the ornate staircase dressed in a ball gown but you can also smell the ghostly scent of burning candles also objects move on their own completely and in the basement there is a childlike entity that stares at the ground but however if you try to approach this apparition the child will completely disappear before your own eyes. Our next location, our ninth location is actually a train or a ghost train in the Saskatchewan Canada. Now it's located in St. Louis in Saskatchewan and in St. Louis there lays an old abandoned railway track where the ghost or a ghostly light appears along the tracks at night, and many many believe it to be a ghost train still following its route. The ghost train also has its own postage stamp. Now, the legend stems back all the way to the 1920s and then some. As the story goes, a train conductor was decapitated by the train when he left to examine the tracks and so ever since then people have seen a bright white light on the tracks and some have even seen a red light as well however some skeptics believe that the right could be the reflections of hair of head and tail lights of cars from the highway Our tenth and final location for this segment of tonight's episode is the Mar residence in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. This house is said to be haunted by an angry male spirit who quite enjoys tormenting women and terrifying them. The house was used to be a field hospital in 1885 And no one knows for sure if this man was a patient of the hospital or he was a resident of the home. Now, this house is the oldest building in Saskatoon. It was there even before the city was even founded. And it's still in its its original location and never relocated. But the angry man is not the only spirit to inhabit the house. There is also the spirit or the spirits of children in the home who love to appear at windows. The house was bought in 1979 by the state, by the city, and it was restored and reopened as a museum to show what early life was like in Saskatchewan. Paranormal investigators have caught EVPs, that's electric voice phenomenons, of a Of a male voice speaking in a rude tone and making nasty remarks. And also, during the time of of the house being a field hospital, there was a mother who was living there who had died in childbirth in the house. So I thought that was an important little tidbit to include there. Maybe that's where the spirits of children came from. Or maybe not. And that being said, that concludes our first segment of tonight's episode. Please join me for more supposedly haunted Canadian spots or locations coming up next. welcome back to more supposedly haunted Canadian locations. Our next haunted spot is a mental hospital and this is in the Saskatchewan region. This is the Waybourn Mental Hospital. Legend has it an investigation came into one of Canada's first mental institutions in the 1930s, and it turned up cruel and inhumane practices by the doctors were being performed every day. It was the norm. It was the site of lobotomies, electric shock therapy, and some of Canada's controversial LSD experiments. Before being demolished in 2009, people heard voices and some reported seeing a woman in the fourth floor window pacing back and forth through the night. Do you guys remember Fort Garry Hotel that we mentioned earlier in tonight's episode? Well, here we go. We're going to talk about it being haunted. Now, it's located in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and legend has it that in room 202, It is considered the most haunted room in the hotel after a woman was rumored to have committed suicide upon finding out that her husband was killed in a car accident. Cleaning staff have reported seeing blood running down the walls of room 202, and former liberal Prime Minister Brenda Chamberlain often retells the story of how, during her stay, She felt someone climbing into bed with her and tossing and turning in the middle of the night. Tell me you guys wouldn't freak out if you experienced that. The Edmonton General Hospital in Edmonton, Alberta is said to be haunted. Despite being closed and unused for years, the old B-ring of the hospital still smells of sick people as well as children's cries can be heard coming from the old pediatrics floor. A construction worker was killed while working in the basement of the hospital and is often seen in a spot where he, w- where he had died. As well as a mother crying for her dead child, she still wanders the halls of the hospital, but when you approach her, she disappears. Our next haunted house is in Calgary, Alberta. Legend has it that several unusual deaths have taken place at this residence, including a young woman jumping to her death from the second story and a man being gunned down on the porch. Staff of the house say that they sometimes see a man smoking a pipe in Dean's study. And I also hear a ringing coming from the antique phone that is not plugged in they can smell tobacco smoke even though the house itself is not smoking it's non-smoking rumor also has it that the attic is home to a blood stain that appears changing the shape and size it reappears no matter how many times it's been washed And now we're on to another hotel, this is the Springs Hotel. Legend has it that a family was brutally murdered while staying in room 873. That's why it's been covered in since then, but if you closely look in, you can see where the room once was. Also years ago, a bride accidentally touched her dress to a candle on a flight of stairs. In her dress went up in flames, and she fell down the stairs to her death. Guests report also seeing her spirit frequently roaming the halls of the hotel. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, St. Ignatius' School is haunted by a little girl. At St. Ignatius' It's said that she died after falling off the rings of the playground, and many children have stopped using the red wings out of fear, claiming that when you try to toss them, you will feel, when you try to cross them, you will feel hands on your legs trying to pull you off, and many believe that it's the spirit of the little girl who died there years ago. And for our final location for this segment, we are at the Frank Slide in Alberta. Now, legend has it that in the spring of 1903, the face of Turtle Mountain came loose, causing a massive landslide and covering the town of Frank below. 76 people were reported dead. Some bodies were never recovered from the rubble. People often report seeing mist and eerie apparitions while looking at the wreckage from the slide. Many think ghosts frequent the area, not because of all the bodies were recovered, and they are still looking for their loved ones. And now, if you guys would like to follow me for our final segment of tonight's episode, we are going to tell a tale, an old German folk tale, a Christmas time folk like tale. And if you guys are interested in that, please follow me to the next segment. But if this does not interest you, you can either skip ahead to the outro or I will see you again in the next episode, and I hope I do. So the folk tale that I'm going to tell you you guys tonight is called the Christmas Fairy of Strasbourg. Alright, welcome everybody to our third and final segment of tonight's episode. As I said before at the beginning of the episode, I'm going to be telling you guys a... Christmas Folk Tale from Germany, a very old one. This is called The Christmas Fairy of Strasbourg. So I begin the story with, once, long ago, there lived near the ancient city of Strasbourg on the River Rhine, a young and handsome count whose name was Otto. As the years flew by, he remained unwed. He never so much cast a glance at the fair maidens of the country round. For this reason, people began to call him Stoneheart. It changed that Count Otto, on, Christ- on one Christmas Eve, ordered that a great hunt should take place in the forest surrounding his castle. He and his guests and, and his many retainers rode forth and the chase became more and more exciting it led through thickets and over pathless tracks of forest until at length of count otto found himself separated from his companions he rode on by himself until he came to a sp- spring of clear bubbling water known to the people around as the fairy well here count otto dismounted he bent over the spring and in- began to lave his hands in the sprinkling tide. But to his wonder, he found that through the weather was cold and frosty, the weather was warm and delightfully caressing. He felt a glow of joy pass through his veins, and as he plunged his hands deeper, he fancied that his right hand was was grasped by another, soft and small, which gently slipped from his finger the gold ring he always wore, and lo, he drew his hand out, and the gold ring was gone. Full of wonder at this mysterious event, the Count mounted his horse and returned to his castle, resolving in his mind that the very next day he would have the fairy-well emptied by his servants. He retired to his room and throwing himself just as he Was upon his couch, tried to sleep, but the strangeness of the adventure kept him restless and wakeful. Suddenly he heard the hoarse bang of the watch-hounds in the courtyard and the creaking of the drawbridge as though it was being lowered. Then came to his ear a patter of many small feet on the stone staircase, and next he heard indistinctly the sound of light footsteps on a chamber chamber adjoining his own. Count Otto sprang from his couch, and as he did, so there sounded a strain of delicious music, and the door of his chamber was flung open. Hurrying to the next room, he found himself in the midst of numerous fairy beings, clad in gay and sparkling robes. They paid no heed to him, and began to dance, laugh, and sing. To the sound of mysterious music in the center of the apartment stood a splendid christmas tree the first time ever seen in that country instead of toys and candles were hung on its lighted boughs diamond stars pearl necklaces bracelets of gold ornate ornamented with jewels, with jewels in rubies and sapphires silken belts embroidered with oriental pearls and daggers mounted in gold and studded and studded with the rarest gems. The whole tree swayed and sparkled and glittered in the radiance of its many lights. Count Otto stood speechless, gazing at all this wonder, when suddenly the fairy stopped dancing and fell back to make room for a lady of dazzling beauty, who came in slowly toward him. She wore a raven black dressed with golden diagram, set with jewels. Her hair flowed down upon a robe of rosy satin and creamy velvet. She stretched out two small white hands to the count and addressed him in sweet, alluring tones. Dear Count Otto," Otto, she said, I come to return your Christmas visit. I am Ernestine, the queen of fairies. I bring you something you lost in the fairy well. And as soon as she spoke, she drew from her bosom a golden casket set with diamonds and replaced it in his hands. He opened it eagerly and found within his lost golden ring. Carried away by the wonder of it all and overcome by an irresistible impulse, the count pressed the fairy Ermistine to his heart, while she, holding him by the hand, drew him into the magic mazes of the dance. The mysterious music floated through the room, and the rest of the fairy company circled and whirled around the fairy queen and Otto and Count Otto, and then gradually dissolved into a mist of many colors, leaving the count and his beautiful guest alone. When the young man, forgetting all of his former coldness towards the maidens of the courtyard, about, fell to his knees before the fairy and besought her to become his bride, at last she consented to one condition, that he should never speak the word death in her presence. The next day the wedding of Count Otto and Erminstein, Queen of Fairies, was celebrated with a great pomp and magnificence and the two continued to live happily for many years. Now it happened on a time that the count and his fairy wife were to hunt in the forest around the castle. The horses were saddled and bridled, and standing at the door, the company waited, and the count paced the hall in great impatience, but still the fairy Ernestine tarried along her chamber. At length, she appeared at the door of the hall, and the count addressed her in anger. "'You have kept us waiting so long,' he cried. "'You would make a good messenger to send for death.' Scarcely had he spoken the forbidden and fatal word, when the fairy, uttering a wild cry, vanished from his sight, In vain Count Otto, overwhelmed with grief and remorse, searched the castle in the fairy well, but no trace he could find of his beautiful lost wife.' But the imprint of her delicate hand set in stone arch above the castle gate. Years went by, and the fairy Armistead did not return. The castle hurt. The count continued to grieve. Every Christmas Eve, he set up a lightened tree in the room where he had first met the fairy, hoping in vain that she would return to him. Time passed, and the count died. The castle fell into ruins. But to this day, may be seen above the massive gate, gate, deeply sunken into the stone arch. Arch is the impress of a small, and delicate hand. In, in such, the great folk of Strasbourg was the origin, the origin of the Christmas tree. So, I hope you guys enjoyed that. And if you would like me to tell another folktale or ancient fairy tale from all around the world regarding Christmas time at the end of these little episodes, you guys let me know in the comments when I post this episode. Thanks for listening, and I will see you guys in the outro. And I want to thank you guys so, so much for joining me for tonight's episode. I hope you enjoyed it, as I enjoyed recording it and doing the research for it. It was really an honor. Thank you to all my listeners, new and old, and my listeners from all around the world, especially the ones in the United States, the UK, and all over the place. Thanks for tuning in. And be sure to check out Demimonde Paranormal on Facebook.com. We're a private paranormal group We cover all things supernatural. That includes ghosts, hauntings, witches, warlocks, dragons, cryptids, werewolves, vampires, you name it. And so that being said, I wish you guys a happy, happy holiday season, Merry Christmas, and I will see you next Friday for an all new episode of DemiMond Paranormal. And as always, take care of yourselves, be kind to one another, stay safe, and as always, as always, always, stay spooky.